If you want to turn in your Bibles with me, we're going to turn to 2 Timothy together. We're going to be in chapter 4 this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Um, we're going to look at the first five verses. Um, it's been a bit of a world. I don't know if, if I know everybody here or if everybody here knows me. I'm only here sometimes. <laughs> um, my name's Matt Larkin. I uh, work with Advent Christian General Conference right across the street. Um, and I work as the coordinator of student and kids ministry, so that takes me a lot of different places very often on Sundays, so I don't get a chance to be with you all all the time, because very often I'm worshiping someplace different, it just feels like every week for, for spells, so, <laughs> and getting opportunities to be with people um, around the country, and uh, it's, uh, it's a blessing, but sometimes it makes me feel a little disconnected from, from the church that I've, I've tried to commit myself to here in Charlotte. Um, so uh, I haven't been around much this summer. I've been at summer camps and things of that nature. Um, just yesterday I was in South Carolina doing some teaching, and now I'm here. So um, it's good to be with you all, and good to, uh, good to uh, have the opportunity to be home for, um, well, five or six days here before I go somewhere again. So, um, But this morning we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and uh, we're going to take a look at uh, the the place of the Word of God in our lives, in the life of the church, um, in the life of the body of Christ, in the body of believers, and uh, the charge we have to preach the Word in season and out of season. So let's read together, starting in verse 1 of Second Timothy chapter 4. Paul starts out, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. Uh, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That's where we'll stop. I would venture to guess that most of us are here because in some way the Word of God has had a significant impact on our lives. Um, Maybe it was proclaimed to us at a camp or at a revival years ago, and we made a commitment to follow Christ with all that we are. Um, For others, our journey of faith may have begun with a Sunday school teacher sharing with us the stories of David and Goliath of Daniel in the lion's den, of Joseph and his coat of many colors, or of Moses leading the people of Israel out of Egypt under the power of God. Um, for me personally, my journey of faith began through the personal sharing of the Word of God through a Christian mentor, um, somebody who really took time to answer my questions about the Bible um, and uh, took time to really love me and, and, uh, and uh, really feed into my life. Um, His answering of my endless questions, in fact, about his word and his modeling of the word in my life is what led to God changing me, and it led to me being here. The word of God has probably touched a lot of us in various ways. Um, It's powerful. It is, as we often proclaim, sharper than a two-edged sword. It is also, however, an amazing tool, and it's a tool that's often too underutilized by too many believers. But most of all, and we often miss this, and I think this is a really important thing um, for us to catch when we're talking about the Word of God. The Word of God is a gift. It's a gift that's been given to us from our Creator. It's a gift of love. It's His words to us. It's a collection of works written by 40 different authors. 
66 books under the direction of the Holy Spirit, all weaving together this common message, all leading to Christ. It's really an amazing thing when you think about all we have when we have the Word of God. It is such a gift. It's something that leads us to a more abundant life, a life found only through the one who is at the heart of the Bible story, that is Jesus our Lord. But as I said, this gift is something that at times I think we take for granted. It's something we certainly don't use like we should. For many believers, it's like, I don't know if, you've, if you can re- resonate with this analogy, it's like that gift at Christmas time that we play with for a couple of weeks and then it kind of gets shoved into the closet. If you haven't done this yourself, maybe your kids or grandkids, you've seen this happen. You give them this great gift, which they've been asking for for months. And then a couple weeks later, it disappears into the closet, never to be heard from again. And maybe in grandparents' case, until the next time you show up. <laughs> but uh, it's oftentimes like that for us. It's a gift that we just kind of shove to the side. We don't keep it at the center of our lives. Before too long, it's found its way to the back of the closet, only to be heard from on occasion. Now, Paul, I think, was aware of this unfortunate reality. He was also aware of the potential for people to be easily led astray without a good dose of the word of God in their lives. It was something that both Paul and Timothy had been battling with at this point, um, and it's something that they would continue to battle with, and really it's one that, if, that pastors and leaders have been battling with ever since in the church, is how do we get our people into the Word of God? How do we get them to put it at the center of their lives? It's tough, because all of us as believers probably have been touched with the power of the Word of God, but oftentimes... After that initial touching, we just kind of, again, shove it away. So as Paul begins chapter 4 of his letter to Timothy, this final chapter, as he builds toward his conclusion, he gives Timothy, I think, maybe one of the most important and solemn charges you see in the pastoral epistles, to preach the word. To preach the word. In verse 1 of the text, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season. Be ready out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preach the word. That's the charge. But this isn't just a charge of Paul. This isn't just something Paul came up with off the top of his head saying, you know, the word of God's pretty good. Preach it. You know, this is a great idea, Timothy. This is my big idea. Go for it. This is not just, this is not just a charge of Paul. Paul charges Timothy to preach the word in the presence of God and of Jesus, who is, Paul clarifies, the judge of the living and the dead. Now, in my mind, at least, this gives us a picture of a very solemn charge. And you see that in the language reflected here. Um, The word used in the Greek um, is diamartoromai. It's a pretty good lengthy word that none of us have probably ever heard before, I'm assuming. But what what diamartoromai can be translated to literally is I solemnly charge you. I solemnly charge you. So with that in mind, when we come to verse 1, with even deeper emphasis, we can read, I solemnly charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, the, who is to judge the living and the dead, preach the word. 
Now that in and of itself gives you a picture, I think, of the seriousness of what's going on here. It reminds me of an oath being taken, really. Um, Like an oath of office, perhaps. Like the president on inauguration day when he puts his hand on the Bible and solemnly swears to faithfully execute the office of the President of the United States and with the best of his ability preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. With that solemn oath, there's, there's seriousness that comes. There's strength behind those words, really. There's something more than just, you know, yeah, I agree to do this, that's fine. It's something bigger than that. It's something far more serious there's far deeper consequences that come with, with a solemn charge, especially when you consider what, what follows this solemn charge. Paul gives this solemn charge to Timothy, preach the word in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Those are serious words. You'd think all of this would give the reader and certainly give Timothy a picture of the seriousness and the importance of all that was to come next, that he was to preach the word, and this was not to be taken lightly. And if that isn't enough, you see this same charge painted throughout the rest of, throughout the scriptures, especially in the New Testament as a charge to believers. In Mark 16, we see this similar command from Jesus, go into all the word and preach the good news to all creation. In Acts, Luke tells us that he, Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. We see that phrase come again. That's an important phrase. And elsewhere in the words of Paul, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid on me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Throughout the New Testament, you see essentially two charges that appear over and over again for the believer. Two underlying themes that just jump out at the believer. The first one is this. To know Christ, to grow in a relationship, growing in a relationship with him, striving to become more like him, if you will. And the second one, to make him known. Again and again and again you see this charge. Preach the word, be my witness, preach the gospel, testify to his namesake. We are solemnly charged as believers to preach the word of God. All of those different phrases of that appear throughout the New Testament, paint the same picture. Preach the word of God. We are called first to a relationship with Christ, and then in response to that relationship, we're called to be his witnesses throughout the world. And as his witness is the most effective tool we have for the communication of that gospel message, as it is the testimony of all that happened related to Christ, as well as everything that led up to his coming, and the proper response is the word of God. Holy Scripture. So, we are called, as Paul has charged Timothy, to preach the word. Have I beat that horse to death yet? Are we good? You get what I'm saying? All right. I'm about ready to move on then. But really what, what Paul identifies for us next is that there's a problem, and there often is. We have a big problem in meeting this call that needs to be addressed because for some reason, whether it's, it's that this is all not, just not straightforward enough for us or that this call is just too hard, there's a problem. Because as we read on, we find the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. And I would argue that there may be a place where we're already there. 
But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myth. Basically, to summarize this, the problem is twofold. It's biblical illiteracy and a self-involved mindset. Biblical illiteracy and a self-involved mindset. So in response, Paul warns Timothy that a time is coming, and I would argue again that it is already here. The time is coming. People will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Am I crazy, or does that not sound familiar to you? And we're not just talking outside the walls of the church here. We're not just talking about people out there that haven't been reached with the gospel. But right in the midst of many fellowships of believers and where this is happening, folks, generally the people don't even know this is happening. In churches all around the country, if not the world, you can find people who desire a gospel that is boiled down to suit their desires. Their passions, their self-involved mindset. This has crept into the church. And meanwhile, as a result, the biblical illiteracy rate, again, not just outside the walls of the church, but in the church, is climbing in obscene fashion. People not only don't know the Bible and how to apply it to their lifestyle, but they don't want to know it. They won't endure, as Paul put it, sound doctrine, sound teaching. People, I mean, I, I mean as a pastor, I've seen in just my limited years as a pastor... I can't tell you the amount of people I've seen in my church and in others leaving and going different places just because they hear a cooler message somewhere else, something that suits what they want to hear a little better. That's not the only reason people leave churches, but that is, that is one reason that's far more prevalent than we probably even realize. And again, before, the, before you jump to the conclusion that this is a problem simply of the young, I assure you that that the figures are as staggering for folks who have been believers for years as they are for the young, sometimes more so on some issues. And again, be careful. I think we've got to watch this because we're not just talking outside the church again. I'm not preaching today on the downfall of America as a Christian nation. I'm not preaching just about people's receptivity to the gospel because really what Paul is speaking about here is of those who claim to be believers not of those who are not. I had an experience a few years back. This was perhaps the most blatant experience I've had that that hammered home this passage for me. Um, And uh, this was difficult for me to take in. I had a woman come to me in my office one day, um, mostly because she was mad about something I'd said when I was preaching. And, you know, not many of you probably know me well enough to know this. It's not all that uncommon that I say something offensive once in a while. I'm... I, I'm great at putting my foot in my mouth, so I'm the first to admit when I've said something over, overtly offensive. And this woman had been in church her whole life, and to be honest with you, I can't even completely remember exactly what the topic was, and I don't even remember it being overwhelmingly controversial. But, and I don't remember there being any room for any wiggle room for the interpretation of the scripture either. I remember it being a pretty straightforward passage. But what I do remember is that she was quite bothered by something I'd said, and she was going to let me know that I was wrong. Um, And there was no way she was going to hear any differently. Um, And in my normally 
diplomatic fashion. As I said, I'm never offensive, right? Trying to avoid offending her at all costs, I told her, well, I'm sorry you feel that way, but that's what the Bible says. There's no room for interpretation. There's nothing I can do about that. I'm not going to change the truth for your benefit. Basically, what I told her boiled down to this. I'm not going to suit your itching ears. I'm here to preach scripture. And this woman, who was a church leader in, my, in, in the church I was a part of, and had been in, the Christ, been in a Christian church for years, said to me, I don't care what the Bible says. This is what I want to believe. And that was the point where I got what the problem was. The problem was that it wasn't that I was offensive. The problem to her was that the Bible was offensive. And there are times where the Bible is offensive, folks. It happens. This was the problem. And what was more staggering is she said, this is what they said over there at this church, and I like that better. So she started attending the church down the road. I was pretty taken back, as you might expect, and I never thought, and this almost sounds far-fetched, really. It did to me. It felt far-fetched at the time. I never thought I'd find such a blatant example of 2 Timothy 4 with the itching ears thing and, you know, strange passions and all that. I never thought I'd find such a blatant example of that. I never, ever thought that would be a problem for me with a church leader, especially. Um, and it was Julia, as you might expect. You know, no. <laughs> never pastored a church with Julia, so don't worry. <laughs> but I assumed she'd be just the same way, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, folks, um, even in the church, you see not only evidence of biblical illiteracy, but evidence of apathy when it comes to the truths of the scripture. It grieves me to think of of how many folks are in churches around the country and they simply don't know their Bible and don't really want to learn it. And that's seeped into church leadership. It's it's, it's even seeped into the pastorate in some cases. I see evidence of of that in my job in what I do all the time. And on the other side, though, I'm so deeply thankful for those who I encounter that are so deeply committed to the word that it just flows out of them. I really appreciate that about our pastor here. That's a guy who's committed to the word of God. He's also committed to admitting when he actually is wrong, which is amazing. I'm not quite that humble that quickly. but (laughs) On the other side, though, I I really am. I'm just so thankful uh, for, for folks like that. And, and for the commitment that's made by so many pastors and, and church leaders. Now, I know that this was probably an extreme case that I had encountered, but, but this is a mindset that is found in way too many believers. In a 2005 Barna poll, it was discovered that only 19% of those who described bor- themselves as born-again Christians had what would be called a biblical worldview. 19%. That same poll found that slightly less than half of the born-again adults in this country, believe in absolute moral truth. Now, these are Christians. These are people who identify themselves as, as born-again believers. That same poll found that only 53% had a strong conviction of salvation by grace alone. That's extremely staggering when you consider this is a poll of self-identified born-again believers. And only 62% of those who were surveyed who described themselves as born-again believe that Jesus lived a sinless life while here on earth. These are pretty central doctrines of the faith. And then one final statistic, according to that, a, a different Barna poll, only one out of every seven 
Christian adults place their faith in God as the top priority on their priority list. There's several other difficult figures I could shoot off to you. I spent a lot of time researching this kind of stuff. But what it all comes back to is a lack of concern about what God's word says to us and what it means to us and its life-changing power. We found our way in this nation. Christians have found their way in this nation to a place where we want preachers who suit our itching ears and our own selfish passions, and we want a me-centered gospel. And folks, that's not the gospel that God has given us. It's not me-centered. There's me-benefit to it. There is. But it's not me-centered. In fact, he's given us the exact opposite. This is why perhaps the idea of preaching sound doctrine or sound teaching appears as such a unifying message throughout 2 Timothy and really the whole of what we call the pastoral epistles. If there's one key and unifying theme through much of the pastoral epistles, it's this concept of sound doctrine. Or sound teaching. It appears repeatedly. In fact, it appears here in verse 3. But we live in an age where sound doctrine simply is not tolerated. In fact, doctrine has even become an ugly word to many believers. It causes them to shut down. Um, Beth and I have relatives that, you know, it drives me crazy. I, Christian relatives who I can't talk about doctrine with them because it would just, you know, they're, they, it's an ugly word somehow. But the sound Christian doctrine that Paul is referring to here is stuff that's actually central to the Christian faith, stuff like I just recited to you in those statistics. The kind of sound doctrine that Paul is referring to here calls us to what's at the heart of the gospel message, selflessness, self-sacrificing behavior, humility, things that are anything but centered on our itching ears and and our our selfish passions. When you look at at some of the, the central sound doctrine laid out in Scripture, you find such passages like Philippians 2, which says to us, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. At the heart of the gospel, folks, if we're to delve into that sound doctrine, we will find anything but self-centeredness. In fact, that, that passage reminds us to have this mind of Christ ourselves. That's not compatible with going our own way, ignoring what the scriptures tell us, worrying about what's going to make us happy. That's anything but self-centeredness, anything but teaching that leads us um, to suit our own selfish passions. In contrast, we find a whole new and better life that is taught and modeled for us, a life modeled after the one who gave up so much for us. We have a gospel that's focused on sacrificing our own wants and desires so that we might have the opportunity to reach out to someone else. We have a gospel that, that says we should be willing to sell all our stuff if God calls us to. Not that we have to, but we, we should be willing to if that's the call that is given to us. We have a gospel that says we should be willing to sell our stuff if God calls us to so that we can give to the poor. We have a gospel that tells us that it's better to be humble than to have all the knowledge and wisdom in this world. We have a gospel 
that's certainly a blessing to us, but it's a blessing because of the power it has to lead us toward a better kind of life, a selfless life modeled after the one and only King of Kings, who because of his selflessness, because of what he did for us, has been highly exalted and who carries the name that is above every name. I could go on and on, but, but we, we're going to start to wrap things up. So we come to verse 5, the final verse we're going to look at. He leaves Timothy with some related cautions. He tells Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So with all of this swirling around, with that charge of preaching the word still at the forefront, Paul urges Timothy, stay sober-minded, stay strong, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. A lot was about to come Timothy's way if he was going to remain faithful to his calling, faithful to his preaching of the word of God. The path was not easy for Timothy, really, for any of these early believers. We have it relatively easy in comparison to what these early believers encountered. Encountered. Paul knew better than anyone what was going to await Timothy. So he urges his, his apprentice to be strong and willing to endure suffering. To be sober-minded, or in other words, don't lose your head when people attack you. And finally, he urges him to stay true to his calling, fulfill his ministry. Which was entrusted to him by that same Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead. And folks, this acts as somewhat of a warning to Timothy. He is told to preach the word. He's told what will happen when he preaches the word. And finally, he's instructed on how to respond when that happens. He's encouraged to move forward with endurance, not to lose his head, and to fulfill his ministry. But all of this swirls around this central charge, which is one that still holds true for us today, that we are to be people who preach the word of God. We're called to study it, we're called to believe it, we're called to live it, we're called to preach it. In fact, before we even get to chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, where we find ourselves this morning, we find this charge given context as Paul starts down the journey at the end of chapter 3 where he states all scriptures God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. It's building on those familiar words, folks, that when Paul gets into chapter 4, he tells Timothy to go and preach the same word. Scripture is God-breathed. It isn't just some document that can be helpful at times and when we need it. This is God's words to us. It's God's gift to us. And it's simply amazing how much it means to our lives. It really, truly is a gift. It really is, and it's one that we often take for granted. It's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training in righteousness, Paul says, and that barely scratches the surface of what the Word of God is and what this gift means to us if we use it, if we read it, if we study it, if we live it, if we teach it. It's just so valuable. That's one of the reasons why we come together on Sundays and and throughout the week so that we can learn and grow together in, in, in this wonderful gift God has given us. So we can erase that biblical illiteracy together, maybe. It's why we're to study it and seek God for direction through his word in our homes or offices or wherever we are each and every day. 
It's because it's so impactful. This command isn't given to us because, you know, it's just this empty thing that God wants us to do. It's given to us because of of all that power, all that value that it has when we really open it up. When we really use it the way it's meant to be used. It's so impactful. So I'll leave you with this. Study it, use it, apply it, teach it. You're called to teach it. You're called to preach it. So let us do that this morning. Let us do that as we leave here, as we go through the week. Let us remember this solemn charge that Paul gave to Timothy that was meant for all of us. Preach the word. Let's pray. Lord God, we're just so thankful to be in your presence this morning again. We're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for the opportunity to spend some time in it even this morning. We're really thankful for for the opportunity we have to use it and to preach it as we go out into this world. Lord, we know what we're going to encounter. We know that there is a situation in our country where the word of God is not as well received as it might have been at one time. Um, That's the fallen world we live in, Lord, and we know that. Lord, give us strength, give us power, give us a recognition that this call is to go out despite that. Help us not to lose our heads. Help us to have courage when we encounter tough situations where it is not tolerated. (laughs) Lord, use us as your vessels, we pray. We lift these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.